Was Jesus a Palestinian? As strange as that might sound to Bible believers, it's a narrative that's been making the rounds of various journals, the social media, and the internet. When a Palestinian-American provocateur repeated on Twitter the popularly repeated claim that Jesus was a Palestinian, the eldest son of Israel's Prime Minister, Benjamin Netanyahu, Yair, was quick to respond and fervently in defense of the Jewishness of Jesus. So what was the human nationality of Jesus, and does he still claim it nearly 2,000 years later? Or did he become a Christian? The Jerusalem Channel is made possible by viewer support. Thanks for watching. Hello, I'm Christine Darg. A Palestinian-American political activist by the name of Linda Sarsour claimed on Twitter that Jesus was Palestinian of Nazareth and is described in the Quran as being brown, copper-skinned, with woolly hair. This, of course, was not the first time that Jesus' nationality has been hijacked. Sarsour's claim echoed the rather bold and provocative pronouncements of Palestinian Authority leaders, usually made at Christmas time, that Bethlehem-born Jesus was the first Palestinian freedom fighter, a term that they used to describe what others might call a terrorist. Well, Palestinian Authority Chairman Yasser Arafat was known for claiming that Jesus was a Palestinian. And this year, American Muslim activists Ilhan Omar and Linda Sarsour gained media attention again for tweeting that Jesus was a Palestinian from Nazareth. And according to Wikipedia, Al Jazeera TV, the Independent Newspaper, and the New York Times have published articles defending the theory. Wiesenthal Center described the claims of the New York Times newspaper as grotesque. Some pro-Palestinian Christians also hold this belief, even saying that Jesus was the first Palestinian martyr. Critics note that the New Testament describes Jesus plainly as a Jew. And the name of Palestine was not invented until 136 years after the death of Jesus. In fact, the Romans ruled Judea in New Testament times, and the Holy Land was known at that time as Judea, home to the Jewish people. Later, the Romans renamed the region Palestina to taunt the Jews by deliberately trying to erase references to the Jewish heritage of Judea and Israel. And by rebranding the region, the Romans were referring to the Jews' biblical archenemies, the Philistines. But amazingly, entering into the fray has been the Israeli Prime Minister's son, Yair Netanyahu, who begged to differ with Linda Sassur's Twitter post. And how delightful! I enjoy how God works everything, even untruths, for good. I enjoy the fact that Israelis are indignant that Arabs are trying to hijack Jesus. 
And so now many Jewish persons and Israelis are pushing back and standing up to say, look, he's one of us. He's not yours. He's ours. In past generations, due to the institutional church's de-Judaizing of Jesus, the Jewish people weren't so ready to claim their most famous native son. But it's amazing how God works. So Yair Netanyahu confronted Sarsour via Twitter, asking the blunt question, Are you that stupid? He wrote, The Bible says that Jesus was born and raised in Judea. And then the Prime Minister's son proceeded to post a theological fact. He tweeted an illustration of Jesus on the cross with a stylized Latin sign, standing for Jesus of Nazareth, King of the Jews. Well, I find it highly interesting, and it's no coincidence, that the Netanyahu household engages regularly in Bible studies, so they're not biblically illiterate. In fact, Yair's younger brother, Avner Netanyahu, is a national Bible champion in Israel. In 2010, Avner won Israel's prestigious national Bible quiz for youth. Now, regarding Yair Netanyahu's Twitter post, according to Israel Today magazine, even more interesting is that he informed Linda Sarsour that we know these things about Jesus because they're recorded in the Bible. Well, think about that statement because Jews don't typically consider the New Testament to be part of the Bible. But I'm discovering that more and more Jewish people, and especially Israelis, who are after all secure with their own faith in a Jewish state, they're willing to concede that the New Testament is biblical because they're doing their research and learning that the texts of the New Testament to them are very Jewish because, of course, they are Jewish texts written by first century Jews. So, as Yair Netanyahu tweeted, the Bible says that Jesus was born and raised in Judea. Interesting indeed. Prophecy watchers believe it's highly significant that what Israel's enemies intend to usurp continues to spark a serious discussion about Jesus in the Jewish state. In fact, Israel Today magazine reported that mainstream Israeli newspapers have also taken up the fight to protect, to defend the Jewishness of Jesus in response to the erroneous claim that he was a Palestinian. Numerous Hebrew language articles have been published around the country defending the fact that Jesus was in every way a Jew and that he was even an important figure in Jewish history. These articles are helping to inform the national consciousness of Israel that Jesus is not a foreigner, but indeed a native son. Well, all of this controversy is turning into a blessing for the Jewish state and for Jewish-Christian relationships. But I want also to address my Palestinian friends and Palestinian Christians. Just because Jesus is Jewish does not mean that Jesus doesn't care about Palestinians. He died to make atonement for all the children of Abraham, as well as, of course, for the entire world. In fact, the Holy Spirit is favoring Muslim people at this time with an outpouring of dreams and visions about the Lordship of Jesus 
as I've documented in my book, Miracles Among Muslims, the Jesus Visions. And Jesus, the risen Jesus, is visiting the Muslim world at this time with revelation about his lordship and the fact that he's going to be returning soon. So just as in the book of Acts, the Lord is adding to their number daily those in Islamic lands who are being saved. Of course, to return to my main point, Jesus was born, he lived and died as a Jew. And it's important to note that after his resurrection, he still remained Jewish. He didn't suddenly shed his Jewishness after the resurrection. That's important to know because Jesus is returning soon to this earth to set up the messianic kingdom at this time in Jerusalem from the throne of his ancestral father, David. We know that Jesus' identity as a Jew has not been erased because according to Revelation 5.5, the risen Lord Jesus is described in that book as the lion of the tribe of Judah, the root of David. That's an important point not to be forgotten. He will return not just as God's lamb, but as the roaring lion of the tribe of Judah. And as I often point out, his portrait as the Lion of Judah is even prophetically emblazoned on the flag of Jerusalem, which will become the worship capital of the world during the millennium, the thousand-year reign of King Messiah. It's important to note also that Jesus described himself in Revelation 22:16 as the root and the offspring of David. Don't forget, that's a post-resurrection verse. And this verse means that he is David's Lord and David's son, possessing David's throne. The son of David refers to a passage in Isaiah chapter 11, which starts out referencing David's father, Jesse. The chapter states, A shoot will spring up from the stump of Jesse, and a branch from his roots will bear fruit meaning that from Jesse's ancient worn-out stem, a shoot will sprout forth, and suddenly a green branch will burst forth from those roots. Therefore, from the stock of David, which had fallen very low, the coming deliverer arose. Then speaking of great David's greater son, Jesus, the prophecy continues, The Spirit of the Lord will rest upon him, the spirit of wisdom and understanding, the spirit of counsel and strength, the spirit of knowledge and fear of the Lord. And he will delight in the fear of the Lord. Then verse 11 of Isaiah 11 goes on to prophesy of the Messiah. It says, On that day the root of Jesse will stand as a banner for the peoples, and the nations will seek him. Isn't that what has happened in history? There have been believers in Jesus from all nations. Now, we have two genealogies of Jesus recorded in the Gospels, in the book of Matthew and also in Luke. The Gospel of Matthew gives the Lord's legal descent, Jesus having been adopted by his stepfather Joseph of the house of David. And so Jesus was reckoned legally as Joseph's son of the house of David. But, St. Luke also gives the genealogy of Mary, the biological mother of Jesus. 
Mary also sprang from the house of David. So both legally and biologically, Jesus was King David's descendant. He was the son of David, as he was often called in the New Testament. And he was the branch that revived the Davidic dynasty. So to summarize so far, to say that Jesus was a Jew is an obvious fact on the face of it. One wonders if we even need to remind people today that Jesus was Jewish. But of course, unfortunately, due to widespread ignorance, it does have to be said repeatedly because people are biblically illiterate. And we also know what happens later in the narrative. It turns out that throughout history, Christianity tragically stripped Jesus of his Jewishness and even tried to disassociate itself from its Jewish foundational roots. So said a professor of Judaic studies at Brown University, Shay Cohen. Cohen is quoted on the question, was Jesus a Jew, by answering that, of course Jesus was a Jew. He was born of a Jewish mother in Galilee, a Jewish part of the world. All of his friends, associates, colleagues, disciples were Jews. He regularly worshipped in Jewish communal worship, what we call synagogues. He preached from Jewish texts from the Hebrew scripture. Jesus was steeped in the Torah and instructions of God. Jesus even said in the Gospel of Matthew, Think not that I am come to destroy the law or the prophets. I have not come to destroy, but to fulfill. For verily I say unto you, till heaven and earth pass, not one jot or tittle shall pass from the law till all be fulfilled. So Jesus celebrated all of the Jewish festivals as well. He went on pilgrimage to the Jewish temple in Jerusalem, where he was under the authority of priests. He lived, was born, and died, and taught as a Jew. This is obvious to any casual reader of the Gospels. But what's striking is not so much that Jesus was a Jew, but that the Gospels make no pretense to cover up his Jewish heritage. The Gospels have no hint whatsoever that Jesus was anything other than a Jew. The Gospels don't even indicate that Jesus came to found a new religion, an idea that's completely foreign to the New Testament. Unfortunately, in many circles, Jesus is not seen as a Jew, but as the founder of churchianity. But of course, he was a Jew. And furthermore, according to a professor of New Testament at Yale Divinity School, Harold Attridge, Jesus' identity simply can't be understood apart from his Jewishness. Because Jesus went up to Jerusalem for the major pilgrimage festivals, he would have known the temple rituals and their atoning significance. He would have celebrated Passover with his family, and he would have known of the hopes embedded in Passover for their divine deliverance. He certainly knew Hebrew scriptures and how to find them in the scrolls. Paula Fredrickson, a professor at Boston University, has written that what astonishes her when she reads about Jesus in the New Testament is how completely embedded he was in the first century world of Jewish religious practice and piety. 
Jesus is presented in the Gospels as a person who continuously went to synagogue on the Sabbath. He is presented as one who went up to Jerusalem on pilgrimage, most importantly for Passover. He was completely embedded in the Judaism of his time. Amen. Now, in an article I found in the Guardian newspaper headlined, Behold, the Jewish Jesus, a documentary producer, Howard Jacobson, wrote that it's time for Christians to face up to the fact that Jesus was Jewish to the core. He wrote, Jesus was a Jew. Everyone knows that, don't they? Well, it would seem that they do, and they don't. It's, it's certainly not the view of most Christians, nor is it common knowledge amongst atheists or even Jews that Jesus was to the brim a Jew, a Jew in his relentless love of, for example, quibbling over points of the law, in his fondness for extended metaphors and sermons wrapped in parables. It's not likely that we're going to recognize Jesus' Jewishness in church nativity plays, in our hymns and carols, nor from Christianity's religious art. But it is Jewish history that Jesus fulfills. Jacobson also asked the question, how many of us, when we listen to Handel's Messiah, know the origins of the words that we sing? For unto us a child is born, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, the mighty God, the everlasting Father, the Prince of Peace, and so forth. But the words are lifted directly from the book of the prophet Isaiah in the Hebrew Scriptures, not in the New Testament. Well, to Christians, Jesus was the Messiah, that's the Jewish concept, whose coming had been foretold in Jewish Scripture for centuries. But Jesus didn't call his people to abandon their Jewishness. On the contrary, he said to a woman of Canaan, I was sent only to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. And nevertheless, he relented and responded to her great need for her daughter's healing because she demonstrated aggressive faith, which greatly pleased him. But now the identity theft of Jesus that's going on today is dangerous. The purloining of Jesus has had deadly consequences. Again, Howard Jacobson also wrote in the Guardian newspaper that ours is not a peaceable world, but it would go a way to restoring harmony in some parts of it if Christianity would acknowledge responsibility for the anti-Jewish crimes committed in Jesus' name. Admitting the consequences of Christianity's own falsification of the Jew Jesus would be a starting place, he said. Well, Jesus' identity is being stolen today, but in his day, he had an identity crisis because the people weren't seeing him as Messiah, the suffering servant. In a recent broadcast entitled The Jonah Conundrum, I explained that according to Bible commentaries, the Jewish nation mistook Jesus as Messiah because they were looking for the glorious messianic sign mentioned by the prophet Daniel concerning the Messiah as identified in Daniel chapter 7, which states that 
Messiah would gloriously be one like a son of man, coming with the clouds of heaven and given authority, glory and sovereign power with a visible kingdom that could never be opposed or destroyed. And that's what the Jewish people of Jesus' day were anticipating. They overlooked the less glamorous portrait of the suffering servant Messiah in Isaiah chapter 53. So they demanded that Jesus prove his Messiahship by being the Son of Man in glory, by establishing a visible, glorious kingdom. Did you know that Daniel's sign is a true sign of Messiah? Not only was it a favorite sign with the Jews of Jesus' day, but it was also a sign which Jesus acknowledged as certainly legitimate because he constantly alluded to that very sign by calling himself the Son of Man. And by doing that, he was quoting the prophet Daniel 7, 13. But why then did he not gratify the expectations of his generation? The answer is that the Jewish nation sought Daniel's sign too soon because the Messiah coming in the clouds of glory is indeed a sign of Messiah, but of his second advent, the second coming of Messiah. There must be a second coming of the same Jesus because Jesus is described in biblical prophecies with two distinct portraits, one as a suffering servant, but also as a triumphant king. But he couldn't fulfill both portraits at the same time. First, Jesus had to come in the character of a servant priest to make atonement for sins and iniquity, resulting in his humiliation, suffering, and death. It was necessary that he fulfill those prophecies. As Isaiah 53, 8 declares, he was cut off from the land of the living. He was stricken for the transgression of my people. And also verse 10 of Isaiah 53 declares, Yet it was the Lord's will to crush him and to cause him to suffer when his soul is made a guilt offering for sin. So that requires a Selah moment. But he is also to return in the character of a king, in glory and in mortality, to sit upon the throne of his ancestral father David. Jesus first appeared in the humble role of these two messianic portraits. In fact, the scriptures teach that he must first suffer before he could ever enter into his glory, and therefore also before he can be revealed in his glory. As Acts 26, 22 teaches, I'm saying nothing beyond what the prophets and Moses said would come to pass, that Messiah would suffer, and as the first to rise from the dead, he would proclaim light to the Jewish people and also to the Gentiles. In fact, and this is very important, in Luke chapter 24, in one of Jesus' post-resurrection appearances, he rebuked some of his disciples for not understanding his mission. He upbraided them by saying, How foolish and slow you are to believe all that the prophets have spoken. He asked, Was it not necessary for the Messiah to suffer these things and to enter into his glory? 
And so he explained from the scriptures the true meaning of the prophets, whose words they had read so often, but without grasping the real significance. He led them to see that the Messiah must be a suffering servant first before he could be a triumphant King Messiah. That the crucifixion of Jesus, over which they had cried so bitterly, was in fact an essential part of the eternal purposes of God. But in the second portrait of Messiah as King, he promises in due time to appear again. And so believers are eagerly awaiting that blessed hope, that second coming of Jesus. He said the sign of Jonah was best suited for his generation because it fulfilled the near sacrifice of Isaac. If the Lord had answered their ill-timed prayer, he would have appeared as King Messiah, but without making sacrifice for sin. So Jesus wisely rested his messianic claims and ultimate vindication upon the sign of Jonah, death and resurrection power. He predicted that he must go to Jerusalem and suffer many things from the elders and the chief priests and the scribes and that he would have to be killed. And all of that was literally fulfilled. But hallelujah, on the third day, he said he would also be raised up. And so he was. In Matthew 12, 40, the prophecy about his resurrection was fulfilled to the letter. Hallelujah. And no event of history is better authenticated than the fact of the resurrection of Jesus from the dead. And if the sign of Jonah didn't yet convince the Jews, the sign from heaven on his second coming will certainly convince them. Jesus will return to his people Israel, along with his bride, the true church of saved individual members throughout the ages. And he will establish the messianic kingdom on earth. That messianic kingdom will include Israel and the saved nations from among the Gentiles. And the Arabs will bring their treasures up to Messiah in Jerusalem. They will be included along with all the nations. So the sudden sounding of the shofar of God and the appearing of Messiah to snatch his remnant church to glory is our blessed hope, causing us to wake up and to sober up. So as believers, let's be alert because our redemption is drawing near. And as we close the program today, I want to ask, are you ready? Are you watching eagerly for the Lord's imminent appearing? The Bible teaches that if you believe in your heart that God raised Jesus from the dead, and if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord, you shall be saved. The Bible teaches that this gospel was written down in the Bible so that we may know that we have eternal life. Isn't it wonderful that you can be assured of your salvation? However, I do want to remind you that these are serious days demanding fervent discipleship and great watchfulness. But if we can help you at all in your spiritual growth, we can stay in touch on the social media and check out our website, exploits.tv, with our teaching videos, articles, and prayer alerts. It's also where you can click online to review our eBooks and sign up for our free magazine, Exploits. That title comes from Daniel 1132, 
which says that the people who know God will be strong and take action, doing exploits, the works of the Lord. By the way, we also invite you to download our free Jerusalem Channel app from your app store. Thanks for praying for us as we continue to contend for the faith. And when you pray earnestly for the peace of Jerusalem, you're praying for the return of Jesus to Jerusalem. So until then, I'm Christine Dark, watching on the walls. Shalom and Maranatha.